Hi, I'm Tammy Rodman. I'm Reynolds Chapman. And I'm Keith Daniel. Welcome to Who Is My Neighbor, a podcast about what it looks like to love your neighbor. Every city has a story, and our wonderful city of Durham, North Carolina has woven our stories together. This podcast is an invitation to join us as we journey through Durham's history of pain and hope and discover what God is speaking to us in this moment. Come with us as we listen to the voices of the Samaritans. In this first season, we are asking a question to respond to our present moment. Who is my neighbor amid a pandemic and a history of racial injustice? Today, we're gonna help you get to know us. We'll share our stories and our response to the recent murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery, which we are grieving while we also grieve our losses from the coronavirus pandemic. I'm gonna start this show off by asking my friend, Tammy. Tammy, how have you been doing over this past month? Well, Keith, it's, it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride for me. Um, a wide range of emotions. Um, really, some days better than others. Um, overall, you know, I continue to put before me my blessings and the ways in which I am blessed. I'm, I'm healthy. Um, and my family's healthy. So I, I try to look at those, but it's, it's been rather difficult. Um, had moments when I, I felt like uh, Job and um, was crying out to God and, and then have the moments of hope as well that uh, God is in control. So yeah, I've been, I've been keeping, it, keeping it steady <laughs> as, as much as I possibly can. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can relate for sure. Roller coaster. You know, I'm a dad. Um, my son turned 22 a week ago. He graduated from college. Uh, my daughter's 20. She's, you know, still. Um, they both suddenly were at home. Our, our house became a dorm room, and in a way, that was a blessing. Um, you know, as we say in disguise, as it relates to being able to experience them wrapping up the academic year and learning a bit more about their journey through college, because this is obviously a very formative time for them. My wife's home working full time. I'm home working. And like you, Tammy, counting blessings every day. You know, my middle name is gratitude, um, humility. Uh, also, we've been touched a bit by the by the virus uh, more directly, uh, perhaps my, my wife's aunt contracted it and she's in a, a rest home, a fairly large facility in the Maryland area. Uh, fortunately, we understand she's coming coming through it though. She was on a respirator for a while. That brought some tears to me in a recent meeting. I kind of broke down a little bit. I've been able to manage the public tears pretty well because I have taken on, you know, as an African-American man in my fifties, having grown up, grown up uh, in the late sixties when, you know, all our trailblazers fought so hard for us. Um, but now to be facing, uh, these kinds of tr public tragedies and so, you know, so much visceral violence, um, grateful that my parents are still living my mother and father, though, not living together. They separated when I was 10. My wife's parents are deceased, um, but we have multiple aunts and uncles that are still alive, both in DC and Durham. But yeah, it's been a, you know, like I said, I started by talking about my sons. You know, I'm glad he's 22 as a young African-American man. I'm glad I got a beautiful daughter, my wife, family. Yeah. But, it, you know, we recognize our neighbors more than our immediate household. Right. So 
that's really hard because we know so many other households might not have the same sorts of celebrations, even in the midst of the pandemic. Reynolds, how about you? Yeah, I I can definitely relate with you with you all too. It's been been a roller coaster, a big adjustment for us, but I am grateful that our family is healthy. Um, I'm a, I live at home with my wife, and I got a one year old at home and a seven year old at home, so we are. Uh, adjusting to, uh, we actually just finished the school year with our daughter, um, but our son wanted to do her homework more than she wanted to do it. So uh, (laughs) just the challenges of kind of working with um, school and balancing everything, but it was good to be home with kids. Um, But just thinking about how the virus has impacted a lot of people, um, we um, are, we have, been impacted much less than a lot of other people. Um, I grieve for a lot of neighbors I've talked with who have lost family members. Um, some some of our friends have gotten contracted with coronavirus. Um, thankfully, we don't know anyone personally who's lost their lives. Um, but it's just it's heavy to watch the death toll increase uh, and then hearing and and watching. Uh, about the recent murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and now Rashard Brooks. You know, my, my first response to that was just horror uh, to imagine being in your, in your house and having it be stormed by police or to be, have to go for a run and have somebody, a mob, attack you. Um, it's just horrific to imagine that. And so there've definitely been moments where we've been crying out in lament, how long, oh Lord, will this continue to happen? Um, but it's gotten me to reflect a lot about just what, what Durham has meant for us and uh, the role that Durham has played in shaping my reaction to a lot of these different things. And so I've been thinking a lot about what is the impact of all of this on Durham? Um, how do we respond with Durham Cares? Um, and there's there's just there's a whole history of systemic injustice that has led to where we are, and the pilgrimage that we do at, at Durham Cares. I think I'm realizing how much going back to Stagville and hearing the story of Elder Blackfeather from the Okanichi Band of the Saponi Nation um, has helped us realize how much this is not a new thing, but this is something that's embedded in our society. And uh, in order to really respond to it, how important it is to understand where the roots of all of it is. Um, So, yeah, so it's been... There's been a lot, <laughs> been a lot of reflection, um, but I'm grateful f- to have companions to reflect on this with. Yeah, I can um, relate in some very um, deep ways to um, life here in Durham. As I mentioned, I believe I mentioned it's early this morning, by the way, I, I've been up since about three this morning. Uh, just happened to be one of those mornings where the kind of the spirit triggered and I got up and, um, as I, as I, as I think about my roots here in Durham, going back generations 
And I guess I hadn't really taken a deep breath in before thinking about this question, but I'll try to think on the spot about it. You know, this is um, three or four generations of my family have are rooted here in Durham. And my mom always keeps me grounded. Um, as I said, uh, fortunate to have my mother. She's 82 or three years old now. She's going to get me on that. She's like, you need to know my birthday boy when I was born. Uh, but she lives uh, about probably less than a half mile from North Carolina Central University Law School on South Austin. And But she she grew up in the Walltown neighborhood. And then when I was being coming up, being raised, she lived on um, Angel Avenue, uh, just down near the railroad tracks down there. So you get, um, um, I'm blanking on the cross street that crosses right over railroad tracks as you, as you head towards back up South Durham. But as a child, I spent a lot of my, my youthful days and summers in Durham. My father, both my parents are Hillside High School alumni. Um, but again, going further back than that, my great, great, great grandfather, Jacob Rogers owned land um, down in East Durham off 98 and uh, Rogers Grove Baptist Church, uh, no longer a, a gathering congregation, but that community there, uh, I bear the, I bear the, um, the, the stride, the strivings and the, and the, and the glory of um, a man who became free in his teenage years, Jacob Rogers. And, uh, you know, so those stories are in my bones, uh, the, the black church in Durham. Uh, my grandfather, my mother's father was a black minister and he died when I was about seven or eight years old. I think in 1976, he passed away and he was at the time pastoring Shallow Baptist Church uh, in Morrisville. Um, and so, you know, Durham and its, its uh, resiliency, you know, Durham has a lot of um, uh, signifiers today, but historically it's been, you know, that feisty town. We have, you know, all the things you've we've come to appreciate through Durham Cares, through the pilgrimages and conversation we have with folks. Um, and I'm certainly grateful to be here. I did not, I grew up in Washington, DC. My parents moved up North. Like a lot of us got out of the, the violent South and relocated up there and had better jobs and opportunities. And as my mom liked to say, we didn't, we didn't grow up pole because uh, you know, we, we had income, but we lived in a one bedroom apartment. Uh, two-bedroom apartment, excuse me, um, for all of my growing up years until I moved here to attend Duke University in 1986. And I thought it would be the best four years of my life, but Duke has now become like basically all my life since I've worked and played and lived there all these many years. But that being said, it's helped me appreciate my neighbors in Durham are truly my neighbors. Some of them are my family. As a young person, I, I couldn't you know, Tammy, we can relate. We're a little bit closer in age than, than Reynolds. But, you know, back in the day, you by the time you got home, you know, everybody on the block knew when you did something wrong and your mama knew by the time you got home and you probably got two or three beats along the way, you know. Um, and so I've, Durham has felt like to me always a place I needed to represent well, be proud of, know my neighbor's names because they knew mine through my family. And, you know, um, that to me, you know, is again, deep and runs deep in my bones. And, and one of the reasons why I'm in this conversation with you all today, because in a violent world, you can fear people um, that don't necessarily need to be feared. 
Um, they need to be known and loved and recognized and know their name, even if perhaps they might not be doing um, what you think they should be doing. Um, and we've fortunate I can name some names um, uh, as I think about some of the interactions Tammy and I have had with people in the community. He was like, well, I don't care what you're doing. I'm going to serve you something anyway. You know, if you need something, I'll give it to you. If I can, I, I will. If I can, I'll see if I can find out somebody who who can serve and support you no matter where you are in life. So grateful for that. Thanks for sharing that, Keith. That was really encouraging just hearing about how Durham has impacted you. And I know, Tammy, you also came to Durham. You don't have as the historic roots and family roots in Durham like Keith, but you came to Durham for school too, and you've been here since. And love to hear about how Durham has impacted the way you see and understand the everything that's going on right now. Yeah. Well, I, I'd probably start out um, with my background growing up in eastern North Carolina. Um, I, I grew up in a small town called Bellhaven, North Carolina, and um, my family are roots on both sides are, are in that area. Um, my my father's people grew up in started grew up in Windsor, North Carolina, um, and my mother's people were right in Bellhaven, Swan Quarter area. Um, so, you know, growing up there, um, both my parents were educators. Um, my grandparents um, were educators, and and my grandfather was a pastor. Um, so I, I, you know, I had a strong foundation. Um, as to um, who I was as, as a black child. And um, I knew about um, racism, of course. I mean, you have no choice. You, you learn about that. You know, you, there was, a, I do remember going to a laundromat at one point with my mother and there was a colored side and a white side. And, you know, it was always the little kids in the middle trying to go to the other side. So uh, even though there was the separation um, in that town, um, we grew up knowing each other because I think the population of Bellhaven was like 3,000. Um, so I, I had, uh, was always taught my history, uh, where I came from, and it, I didn't come from slavery. Uh, I, you know, my ancestors came from Africa and I came from kings and queens and um, not just heathens as sometimes is portrayed. And so, um, you know, I, I was a, uh, I come from fighters and um, who stood up in times when there were moments of um, the Ku Klux Klan threatening to come through our town. And um, uh, the people in Swan Quarter stood up and said that education the education level was not uh, equitable, and they basically shut the school system down for a whole year. So those are the kind of things, roots I had and, and understanding I had. So when I came to uh, North Carolina Central um, University, being a historically black university, I was kind of in a bubble you know, and so, uh, you know, secured. Uh, most, I don't, I rarely saw someone of another race except, you know, maybe one, of, one or two of my professors. Um, so I really didn't uh, have to deal with it in a sense because I was insulated at Central. Um, but I think I began to experience it more when I was in corporate America. 
um, that is when I really begin to see a lot of the ugliness and understand some of the issues of um, racism um, to the point of how it would you know, people dealt with you when it came to promotions, you know, um, I knew I had to, I was always taught I had to be twice as smart as my counterparts. I had to work twice as hard as my counterparts to get the same level. And so I knew when I went to positions or applied for certain positions that I was usually overqualified for them. Um, however, I, I realized sometimes the person who uh, had way less education and way less um, uh, experience in certain things would get promotion. So, um, but, you know, I, I think all of that, I, you kind of grow up realizing it is there um, and you just learn to maneuver or speak up, um, which I, I never had a problem with speaking against it when I saw it. Um, but I think all of that um, prepared me for where I am today, you know, um, uh, the different people that I interact with and the different things that I see. Unfortunately, I didn't think that I would see some of the stuff that I remember as a little girl happening today. Um, I just never thought that I'd have to have conversations with my grandchildren and my children um, to the level that I'm having to have those conversations today. Um, so Durham has had an impact, uh, um, probably uh, strengthened me in my resolve to fight against it. Um, so that's, you know, it's, it's, it's been a journey. And like I said, it's, it's been kind of difficult. And sometimes um, the, the younger me that would fight, I realize I have to fight in a different way now. Uh, I would, you know, I'd really step to somebody uh, uh, a few years ago. But I uh, believe that. I, <laughs> I, I, I'd seen you take a half step every now and then, but you know, I know you. <laughs> but, you know, as I get older, uh, I say I'm getting a little gentler. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's still, the fire is still there. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, I just, uh, but through the help of my faith, uh, and the fact of the way I should walk in this world uh, that keeps me kind of in check. Yeah. I'm really <laughs> struck by how both of your stories, uh, in both of your stories, addressing systemic racism has been just a part of your life growing up as a black woman, as a black man. And for me, as growing up in a small town where they're in Connecticut, where there was one black family. Uh, our town was about the same size as yours, Tammy, about 3,000 people, Voluntown, Connecticut. Um, coming to the South and being a part of communities that were more diverse, realizing that systemic racism is real was something that I had to learn and had to discover. Um, and it took a lot of listening to people like you all, and I'm grateful for both of you for the ways that you all have taught me and the many other people. Uh, but I think a lot of people right now, in response to the murder of George Floyd um, and the other Breonna Taylor, Richard Brooks, Ahmaud Arbery, a lot of white people are really trying to figure out what systemic racism I think on the one hand, some people are saying, what does this have to do with my faith? 
Uh, other people are saying, how do I respond? I know this has something to do with my faith. How do I respond? So I'd love for each of you to share uh, a response to that. You know, what, uh, as somebody who has experienced, has breathed this your whole life, um, I think it would be really helpful for people to hear how you would respond to that. Keith, you want to take a stab at that question first? Yeah, um, I'll, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Take a stab, <laughs> right? Uh, it's it's a violent world we live in, Reynolds. You know, and um, suffering violence is is a part of the you know the the experience for the African American community and our other um, Indigenous and, and Native and Native folk. Uh, and and we have to we have to just. Um, persist right uh and um it's it's not easy i mean some days like tammy started off by acknowledging you know we live on a roller coaster and uh it's a violent one right uh and that violence is is mitigated on us in micro ways all the time uh when we step out of our door each day you know, we 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 talk about unconscious bias and, and conscious bias, right? You know, we have to bear in our body the marks of this nation's greatest sin, and it it only gets uh, exacerbated when our white peers uh, don't lean in hard to listen, uh, to honor our voices, to um, follow us, right? I mean, think of the images of the movement for the few white folks. Um, who, again, folks raced as white, let's be clear, to try to be reminded it's a construct and very fictitious and fallacious. But, um, you know, the images are few, um, will put their necks out and risk their comfort and relationships. And unless they're prodded and often sometimes forced, we know the historical narrative is we have to scream and holler, you know, um, and, and unfortunately suffer in un, unjust ways. And then some of y'all will move alongside and be transformed by the renewing of your mind, as the scripture says, when it comes to the racial issues and the reality, how it affects all of us. You know, Dr. King was a beautiful, divine, intervening voice that God so touched to be able to cast a vision where a few white folks came along and said, we see it and it's wrong. And we're prepared to lose our families. We're prepared for our homes to be bombed. Um, some of them, you know, were prepared to be beaten by the police themselves for being called in lovers. Uh, that That's still so deep in the soil. And when you're here in the South, you know, those signifiers are stronger. So now people are tearing down statues, you know, and any signs and symbols and, it's hard to take in that the human condition can be so regressive, even while progress is made. So, you know, when Barack Obama was elected, you know, that was a kind of a, a moment of like, <sighs> I think we, we might've gotten somewhere. And then we saw, saw his every day after that, you know, an intentional, um, uh, another essentially type of a cool action, you know, to find out can, how can we tear this man down from his identity to his, 
his his legitimacy as an American citizen. Um, you know, and, and and it goes on and on. You say, how much can we take? You know, I can take but so much. Um, and it is, you know, when you ask the question as a white brother, you know, someone who I come to really, you know, see as a brother in, in Christ and try to live through the transcendence, I try to respond honestly to you uh, in the way that helps you get delivered too, because your deliverance must come from white supremacy and its implications. And that's no easy journey. I mean, let's, let's just be real. I mean, first of all, we're called fools for following Christ, right? And now I'm going to ask you to follow the path of liberation, which is principally led by people of color when the world is not, the, the narrative in the world you, we've been constructed in is like, nah, white, yeah, white per person is never going to ask a black person to actually help me, lead me to, to steal waters, you know, lead me to, to green pastures outside of this, this wretched reality that we have that's, that's known as um, the fabric of our country. Um, so, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it is um, very difficult. Uh, but, you know, when we look at our history um, of this country, this country was formed um, basically out of uh, that spirit, uh, that sin. Um, you know, it was uh, uh, a lot of abuse, use, you know, um, to benefit off of the back of someone else. Um, that's, that's how it was formed. <laughs> um, and it is, I think people, well, I know uh, our um, white brothers and sisters are going to have to realize just how this impacts them as well. Um, and I think when, it, you know, cause a lot of times on the uh, pilgrimage, uh, we get to certain points or we go, we're at Stagville or they hear a story. Uh, uh, I can see a light bulb go off and I've heard, well, why didn't I know this history? Why didn't someone tell us that? I was, you know, I was in school, you know, we never had any of this information in our history classes. Yeah, <laughs> you wouldn't because it was deliberately um, written out of history. And so I, I believe the more people learn, that's why in a way, even in the midst of all of this, um, the light is shining. And, and, and this is a pilgrimage that we're on. I, I feel like this pandemic is, is a pilgrimage. This whole, uh, the, the killings, everything is, is a journey. Uh, that we're on. And I, I truly feel that God is calling us to journey together, to have those moments when we hear stories, which is listening to the people, listening to the people who are oppressed um, and, and listening to their story and reflecting, seeing those places where we need to lament because we are connected together. And, and if, if we don't get it together, um, it's not going to work well for anybody. So holding me down, what is that scripture? You know, the ditch you dig for me, you're going to be in that ditch as well. And so I think people have to realize that, that we, we are interconnected and uh, we have to work together. And the longer it's going to take, the more the people who fight against that, it's going to, it's, 
going to hurt them uh, ultimately. Uh, it's going to bring them to a point um, of destruction uh, as they try to destroy, you know, as they try to destroy others or oppress others. So it it is is hard because you want people to see it. Um, you want them to, to get it and to understand that it's hard, you know, daily as I, you know, deal, I have a 37 year old son. Um, and I thank God every day because many of his friends are not here. Um, many of the kids that he went to high school with are not here. They're, they're out in one of the graveyards here in Durham, um, bright minds, beautiful children, um, but somehow the violence of this world and all the issues and systemic things um, either led them to jail or, you know, to, to, to the graveyard. And that's a sad thing um, because each, each person has a certain level of beauty and giftedness in them. And to see so many who don't reach their potential um, is a sad thing just because of the color of their skin uh, or just because of the, the things um, that have been built into this country to cause us to, um, you know, be in places of bad health and lack of food. And um, so it's, it's really a, a sad situation that, that we're in right now. And, but there is light, you know, um, mm -hmm. my faith helps me to always come back to the hope, you know, that God is in control, no matter how ugly it is. And that uh, ultimately uh, the end of the story is that uh, it's all taken care of. God has, has Jesus took it to the cross. And so you have to look at that. You know, I keep going back to those down moments, revelation, God, you know, the victory is won. Um, now what all the fallout is of that and how that shapes, we have yet to see it. Um, might not see it in my lifetime. Um, hopefully my grandchildren or the great grandchildren uh, we'll see. Hopefully it won't take that long, but you know, um, we, we just pray about it and, and just try to keep the faith. I pray, you know, every day. Um, I have grandsons as well and granddaughters, and I want them to live to the fullness um, that is available to them. And I really feel bad because now I have to tell my, my 14 year old grandson, you know, certain things and just how to navigate his way. And I, they, I shouldn't have to tell them that, I, you know, I, I, they should be able to grow and experience life and, and, and have it to the fullness. And, and so, you know, as far as my children and grandchildren and, and children around me, I've always loved to work with children. Um, that's, I, I feel sad for, for, especially for the world that we have in a sense brought them into um yeah so i've, I've got n a number of thoughts um on that so i could go on for a while but um yeah i'll pass it on well what you both mentioned uh the ways that white supremacy is a curse and that really resonated with me and it made me think about this recent incident where the pastor louis giglio uh, wanted to rephrase white privilege as white blessings 
And I think that just points to a huge misunderstanding about what whiteness has done for white people. And I mean, in many ways, it has brought us privileges. But I think when I've begun to realize the curse of white privilege and white supremacy, it can be identified as an idol that needs to be torn down uh, and can draw me closer to Mm -hmm. Jesus once those idols are Mm -hmm. torn down. So that really resonated with me when both of you shared that. So thank you. And, and, you know, if I could add in, you know, as I see certain things like they're tearing down monuments and things, it's almost symbolically, you know, the Lord allows me to see sometimes um, what's happening in the natural, how it is in the spirit. Um, so when I see these idols being torn down, God is telling us we're, we're putting our attention and we're, we're, we're idolizing things that can do nothing for us. You know, and so I see that in the, in that spirit realm as well. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I see all of this in a sense. Um, the fact that you know um, someone could, another person could actually put their knee on the neck of someone else and and seemingly you know enjoying their position. Um, you know, I see you know in, in a way the the adversary. Uh, trying to put his his knee on the neck of all of us, you know, to bring us to a level of oppression and and keep us there, but you know it is not so, and it will not be so. So, and I'm very hopeful. I see these children out here protesting, and I support them. You know, mm-hmm. uh, if it means tearing down, I would have been there probably a few uh, years ago myself. Or the first mm-hmm. one putting a rope around one of those statues and tearing it down. Uh, so I support them in 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 whatever expression they have, and you know. So you have to look at it and understand it, and and just be supportive of them and try to give them wisdom, and and just encourage them to to keep the fight um, because they're fighting for their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which brings us to a. Uh maybe a good point to think about the the um the notion of neighbor you know that our our central question you know who who is our neighbor right now um and what does it look like to love our neighbors in this moment um and so i i want to i feel prompted to lean in to that um, immediately here as you all begin to open up, but so much of what is said so far has made me think as in what Tammy, um, knowing the, um, no, knowing Tammy for a number of years and aspects of her life, um, you know, fairly intimately as it relates to her journey through violence, through domestic violence, through, um, you know, violence in your neighborhood, you know, or shots fired, you know, um, lives lost right on the street you live while you're loving the children in that community and serving them. My children actually participated in some of the outreach efforts that you made. And you certainly have been a tremendous example of like, first of all, our neighbors are the generation that's following us. We need to learn how to see them, love them and acknowledge their, their youthful emergence while also still channeling that, right? Like say, we, we support your, your protests and this, you know, if you destroy property, um, you know, we can't fully say that's a good thing, but we we recognize your anger and, and know 
that, you know, property can be, be replaced, but lives can't. So mm -hmm. be sure you don't kill nobody in the process. Right. <laughs> or, yes. or like, um, uh, you know, rat, uh, um, recklessly, um, uh, put yourself in a position to be killed. Right. And so again, as parents, as, as, as folks who are, you know, like you said, we got children, grandchildren growing up. I know what I said earlier before mom and dad, when you got home, they corrected your behavior. You're behind, as we would say, if you, if you got out of line, you know, you know, you had your graffiti moment or, you know, you, you did something destructive and, and mama corrected us. And, you know, for those who we, as we know, the scripture says, you know, a fool will not take correction. Uh, so I, you know, I, I'm, I'm one to, to recognize my, my role in the community as I age, um, and things that, you know, I won't do now that I may have done at a younger time, you know, scripture again talks about that growing up. So my prayer, when I think about the neighbors is the generation to follow again, as we say, I got children in my home that need to, um, hear our voice and hear our wisdom. And, and we, we don't have to be enemies around that. I, 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 I kind of, you know, wince a little bit when I see the discussion as if it's a divide generation divide where we like, you know, this ain't, this ain't your mama's civil rights movement. Well, you ain't, you can't say that it, it might look different and be different, but at the end of the day, it's about us, you know, honoring and seeking to, for everybody to flourish, which again, puts us in a challenging space. Cause then we have to ask, but what about the enemy? And see, that's where my heart sort of stops a little bit because I'm like, oh, man, see, Jesus, there you go. It ain't just the one who, like, says kind and sweet nothings to me. It's like the person who's calling me out of my name and I still got to exhibit a, a type of love that sort of, like, turns the world upside down. Like, how you still going to love that man got a sheet on his head? You know what I'm saying? Um, but that's the challenge of our faith, right? Um, uh, what we beyond what we can see. But what are y'all thoughts? I'm just kind of, you know, just Tammy and I had to resist the preaching moment too, Reynolds. You got to be careful. You know, we, yeah, I saw Tammy Gray get her, get her, uh, her oomph on there in a minute, you know, but um, yeah. How, how do you all think about what makes it, what does it kind of provoke in you when you think about who is our neighbor right now? Hey Amen. Well, y'all can preach. Uh, I wish we had time to hear y'all both preach. Um, yeah, I mean, I appreciate what you said too, Tammy, about how, you know, supporting people who are protesting and the different ways of protesting. And I think our neighbors are, um, we can interpret that in many ways. And what it looks like to love our neighbors right now, it's got to be holistic. Um, there needs to be, the protesting has made a huge difference. I mean, there are municipalities who are changing laws because of the protesting. And I think that that is really important and everything from the changing of public art, tearing down Confederate monuments uh, that could possibly re be replaced with the heroes who are often overlooked. And we know many of those through the pilgrimage and um, so, and then to policy change to just everyday acts of, um, neighborliness in our communities. Uh, but I think that, yeah, it looks very holistic. And I think that the story of the Good Samaritan that, you know, our whole Durham Cares and this podcast is based off of was the Samaritan taking care of the person who falls by the side of the road holistically. 
you know, he cleans his wounds, he takes him to the inn, gets him some housing, he uh, gives him some finances so that he can spend another night in the end he comes back so it's a holistic approach and and yeah i think the only other thing that i'd say about that is that loving our neighbors uh is grounded in the christian story that the life of jesus shows us what it looks like to love our neighbors that him coming to the earth the incarnation being with us uh if we're not with each other that doesn't we can't love our neighbors but it didn't just start with being with. He lived a life where he broke down those dividing walls through who he ate with and who he interacted with. And it got him killed. It led him to death. And, you know, Keith, you talked about all of the people who came before us who were willing to risk their lives for this. And if we're not willing to risk our lives to love our neighbors, then um, it's not as grounded in that story of Jesus and so his life, death, and resurrection, and, and that's where we find that new life is through that willingness to follow that way. So I just, I, I'm reflecting a lot on the story of Jesus and how his life is, grounds us and guides what it looks like to love our neighbors right now. Yeah. Um, everyone is our neighbor. Um, and the, the person that lives close to us, our house, or, and the broader community, um, the broader community of this uh, country and this world. Um, it, we have to be mindful that, you know, even though I might not like a particular person, but it's, it's you know, not necessarily based on the color of their skin, it's based on their, on their character, you know, how they portray themselves. And, and even in those situations, you know, you have to kind of look beyond I think um, even though, I, yeah, I have uh, experienced some things in my life, um, through that, um, God has uh, helped me to try to look beyond what I'm seeing, um, the, even the, the way a person behaves. Um, you know, what's, what's causing them to behave like that? What is making them act in the way that they're acting? Um, and and to, to see uh, to see whoever we're dealing with and looking at try to see them through Jesus' eyes that would be something that I would always pray you know especially as you know Keith referenced in the community um, that I um, did uh, quite a bit of ministry in you know I, I saw the drug addicts the prostitutes I saw um, parents who weren't so you know good at taking care of their children, you know, the results of that. Um, and I would just see people just trying to eke out a living, a life, you know, and to uh, see someone who's angry. And, and at that time they may, may you know, be looking so hard, but um, to see what is making them so hard, you know, what circumstances in life and to try to reach that, um, that place of brokenness or to ask for a place that will open up so that you can see beyond what they're putting on. I can say that because I, I, you know, I've been hard by some things. And so, and, and a lot of times people would look at me and say, why, why don't you smile? You know, why are you looking so, but you don't know what I'm dealing with or you don't know what I'm working through. Um, it's not that I'm angry. It's just, um, 
you know, that's the, that's <laughs> the way my face is looking right now. Um, so we just have to see the people, the, 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 the creation, God's creation. And so um, we're all neighbors and brothers and sisters, um, despite what the world, the divisive things that um, are put out into the atmosphere every day um, to keep us apart. Because if we're kept apart, then those other things can be woven in. Um, and um, unity is something that uh, is a fear for some to see people unified and walking together and caring for each other. Um, so, yeah, we're all neighbors to each other. I think it'd be important, you know, we started off by saying getting to know us, I think, in the uh, podcast. And uh, our listeners need to know we all are um, self-proclaimed theologians. We've gone to seminary. Uh, I used to have some folks in the community, you know, joke and say, yeah, you don't went to cemetery. You know? <laughs> Faith doesn't die because you think too much. But uh, that's what I enjoy about the biblical stories for those who have those of us who take it very seriously, like a profession, like a surgeon, a surgeon's knife. Right. Like I could either do great harm um, by how I proceed with scripture in people's lives or I can bring great healing or participate in great healing. So when I think about the Good Samaritan story, as Reynolds prompted, you know, Jesus asked the question. Uh, to, a, I believe, it was a legal um, uh, official. Uh, sometimes the stories run together like Medea's stories. You know, they run together <laughs> uh, even when you study them as often as we do. But, you know, he says, he tells the story, and then he said, who's the neighbor in the story? He said, well, I guess it's the Samaritan. You know, you could tell it was a little hesitant. It's like, wait a minute, can't be the black person. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that narrative don't work. You mean to tell me the person who's most despised is the one who's the hero or the heroine in the story? Uh, sort of turns you upside down. I like to say to folk, you know, the human condition uh, is, is often on its, its most wretched display in the hate, right? So, so we, we kill the Messiah, you know, we publicly lynch Jesus, right? Um, we, we, the first, the first homicide in scripture, as it's recorded, is for two, two, uh, biological, uh, uh, brother kills his own brother, right? Um, so, you know, it, it has to take us to a place where we say, okay, my neighbor, all right, I first need to, to know how to love within my own household. But let me begin there. You know, can I honestly, you know, live in, in harmony and peace with the pe- people in my immediate home? And the pa- pandemic is sort of, you know, death tends to bring about a level of clarity, right? So now we're in the household with folks that we may, that may and may not have our best interests right here in our immediate home. And our hearts break. That, our neighbor again, and those folks I think are most, we can, we can uh, uh, come close and proximate to their pain, even if we're not experiencing. And that's big, a challenge for the human conditions. Like if it ain't affecting my household, I'm good. You know, put my fence up and you keep your stuff over there. But if you see somebody in harm's way, you know, will you be a bystander? Will you intervene? Or will you seek to, to bring healing 
And that's no easy thing. You know, uh, joked earlier and really wasn't joking, but the uh, context in which we live today are not the same as when we grow up. I can't just correct somebody else's child, pull them up by their neck and pants and correct them in the way that it once was. Right. And when we reflect on that, sometimes people will say, well, you know, you you live in an, that that's a, um, you know, fictitious narrative that we can't go back to. And my heart breaks for that because we talk about a village, you know, it don't have to be my son or daughter who's harmed. You know, well, am I willing to sacrifice and step into, um, you know, uh, a, a vulnerable space with someone who I don't really know? Right. Um, and because our society now is so much about um, even again, the paradoxes are so live right now, you know, we're, we're isolated, we're separated technically, but really we've been increasingly isolated more and more if you get down to it, because we'd rather be online and on Facebook, cussing somebody out on Facebook, saying all kind of vile things through this mitigated space that we not would not necessarily say to somebody face to face when we're down at the dinner table with them or interacting with them. In, in ways of human intimacy and human recognition, face-to-face, eye-to-eye, um, those sorts of things. So, yeah, it is it is amazing by God's grace that we all haven't burned up by now, and we're praying that we don't burn up ultimately with, with the, if the violence keeps coming at us, um, you know, it, you're talking about being on our knees, you know, cities burning and, and people doing more than just tearing down. And now somebody's pl- plotting to kill a police officer. We still got to say that our neighbors, even as we say defund them for some of us who feel like that's the that's the most immediate approach. Right. Live in that tension. Um, I was reminded uh, and I'll stop here. But I someone sent maybe it was you, Reynolds, uh, sent um Actually, it was a member of our board. Um, I'm the board chair for Durham Cares, by the way, and Tammy's our pilgrimage coordinator. Reynolds, our executive director, but I believe our board member, Mark Atkinson, sent a uh, message recently as it related to Chief C.J. Davis's, um, you know, public acknowledgement of her humanity as the chief of uh, police and what it's like that she doesn't wake up with a with a uniform on. You know, she's not a robot, you know. She happens to be an African-American woman who's the chief of our police here. And she's going to be assailed in many ways simply because she has that uniform on. To me, that there's a, you know, there's a tension there that lies with that, that we don't, you know, we can easily not see her humanity and call her our neighbor too, even while maybe calling her to a greater level of accountability as it relates to her leadership and the uh, efforts of the, and the uh, efforts of, the, of our local police force. But I'm grateful for, for her. Um, and the other uh, law enforcement officers who who seriously um, take their take their roles seriously and are are looking to kneel and and be in solidarity in ways that allows them to be while also protecting our communities. We've had a great conversation, uh, Tammy. Do you have any closing remarks before we wrap up the show? I just uh, want us to and those who will listen to this to consider everything that we've shared today and just to take time and reflect and, and see what um, in this pilgrimage of pain and hope that we're actually walking through uh, every day right now to take time and reflect and see where um, there's a need to lament um, oh, in ways that your heart 
may need to be transformed um, and how you can be an instrument of peace um, in this world. So, um, yeah. Well, I'll share that. I'm grateful for both of you. I'm grateful to get a chance to have a conversation with you two. And I'm excited about our future episodes where we're going to bring guests onto the show and hear the stories of people from our city who can speak to what's going on with wisdom and with their own stories. So I'm excited about everyone from the pilgrimage guests that we've had in the past to people who are doing the important work to the people who are overlooked. I'm looking forward to that. I certainly am grateful as well. Thank, thank you for um, allowing us to participate in this public conversation. I'm always mindful that, you know, people will hear certain things we said and I ask for uh, y'all offer us grace too. We are human beings. As we say, we're on a pilgrimage. Uh, there's no way we can um, really do justice and, you know, offer words uh, that can bring uh, all the clarity that we need and desire to have, but we're trying and we happen to be folks that are willing to keep trying even, even when we make mistakes and we fall, but we do it from a heart of love, true, true and genuine. I hope that that comes through when you encounter each of us in the community and uh, see us seek to live out our organizational mission. Um, and so, yeah, thank you, my beloved uh, brother and sister. Thank you for listening. The Who Is My Neighbor podcast is a production of Durham Cares, a nonprofit that mobilizes Durham residents to love their neighbors. Learn more at www.durhamcares.org. Be blessed. <laughs>